Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, intern with Christchurch Conway in Conway, Arkansas, and a seminary student. Well, we are excited to be back with you today. This is episode four, and we have been very encouraged by the response that we've been getting so far. We're talking about theology and the Bible, and so far we've been focusing each episode on an item in our church's Sunday morning liturgy. Last week we talked about the Lord's Supper, and Gage, uh, we discussed some of the various views on Christ's presence in the Supper. And let me start out by saying, we always want to endeavor to be charitable and kind in the way in which we characterize views that are not our own. Um I've, I've, we, we, we talked about our, uh, we talked about the view, for example, in, uh, the Lutheran world of often called consubstantiation, uh, and why we don't hold to consubstantiation. And I, I just want to say to our Lutheran friends, Hey, I hope that we were fair and charitable. Uh, and, and I would love to hear from you if you've got some, some, um, some corrections because we want to, when, when we do occasionally dip over and describe other people's views, we want to be sure that we're doing it in a, in a fair way The our Lutheran brothers are our brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we want to, we want to characterize their views well, but I, I got a helpful correction from one of our listeners in Missouri, Josh, I was Gage, I was explaining the Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation, and I said that the trans in transubstantiation meant to change or to turn into, and I used this example. I said, for example, a transformer is a car that can turn into a robot. Well, uh, Josh and his teenage son Noah heard me say that, and they quickly offered me a stern rebuke. A transformer is a robot that can turn into a car not the other way around. Uh, the, so it wasn't necessarily the, the doctrine of transubstantiation they had an issue with. It was your lack of doctrine in Transformers. Yeah, clearly, I, 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 although I may have gotten my explanation of Catholic theology right, I violated the orthodoxy of the Transformers uh, series of movies. And so uh, my sincerest apologies to Josh and Noah. Thank you for holding your brother in Christ accountable. Yeah, all things in decency and in order. That's yeah, right. We also, want to, <laughs> we also want to make sure um, that we're accurate, right? We, we also mentioned and talked about um, our, our Baptist brothers and sisters and their um, Zwinglian or memorial view. Um, 
kind of hinges on do this in remembrance of me. Um, if we in any way weren't accurate there, I'd love to hear from you guys. You know, I grew up Southern Baptist and went to a Baptist college for undergrad, so I feel like I understand the position well. Um, but if I have forgotten anything or misrepresented, we want to make sure that we're as accurate as possible there as well. Well, Gage, so far we've talked about we've talked about the Lord's Supper. We've talked about the assurance of pardon. We went we used that one in one of our earliest episodes because that's the title of our podcast. Uh, so we're we're taking these elements of liturgy uh, sort of out of order. Uh, but today we're going to talk about the corporate confession of sin. And corporate confession of sin is an important part of Reformed liturgies. It's an important part of Lutheran liturgies. Uh, so Gage, for the uninitiated, because our, our hope in this podcast always is to be sharing this understanding with people who are not necessarily in our tribe. So Gage, for the uninitiated, share with us what that usually looks like at your church. Let's say I'm a first-time visitor at Christchurch Conway. What am I going to see when it comes to that part in the service? Yeah, so uh, the corporate confession of sin, we, we kind of walk people through, um, based on Isaiah 6, a, a format, right? So we're going to begin with a big view of who, who God is. You're going to hear a call to worship. You're going to hear a scriptural reading, a declaration of who God is and what that means then in light of who we are. And then understanding who we are in the same way that Isaiah in Isaiah 6 sees the Lord high and lifted up and the, the angels with the, the wings are covering their face and covering their feet and flying around and declaring his holiness Isaiah's response is, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. So it's after understanding who God is that you're going to hear a confession of sin um, from us. And what that typically looks like is first, um, privately con confessing our sin, uh, praying to ourselves, uh, asking the Lord to um, forgive us and trying to, you know, process through, you know, how did I treat my wife this week? What, what kind of dad was I? What kind of employer was I? And, you know, oftentimes you'll, I'll even pray, Lord, forgive me for the sins that I can't even recall because I don't think they're that big of a deal. Right. And then once we've had a few moments to privately confess our sins, we'll corporately confess our sins together. And that uh, typically um, is by reading a prayer uh, on the screen, and uh, sometimes we'll use the Valley of the Vision, if you're familiar with that Puritan sure. uh, book, or uh, we'll use maybe something from a confession or a creed or something adapted from a section of scripture that really helps us um, think through and articulate, not just, Lord, forgive me of my sins, but, hey, Lord, forgive me of my intentions here, or forgive me of my uh, justification here, uh, when I try to make myself holy through self-righteousness or forgive me for the way I treat my neighbor in this way. It's, it's specific and it's corporate. Uh, not that um, we think we're, we're guilty, not just for our sins, but for everybody else. But it's a good exercise for us to be able to kind of together say, hey, we're all on the same plane here. Uh, we all have failures and we all have failed in this way. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for that explanation. Um, that's one of the things I love to explain on Sunday morning, uh, for the, for the folks that are coming for the first time, they may, 
they may see this this recited prayer, this corporate confession of sin, where we're reciting this thing that's printed in our bulletin, where we're all reciting it together. And you can imagine somebody saying, hey, I get that I'm sinful, but I, I sinned all by myself. I didn't sin with this stranger sitting next to me. So why... Why the corporate confession of sin? Why, uh, uh, why not just private confession of sin? And one of the things that I will often point to is that the Bible is filled with calls to corporate confession of sin. The, the clearest and easiest example to share with people is to point them to the Lord's Prayer. When, when Jesus right. is asked, uh, uh, teach us how to pray, he gives them a prayer. He gives them the Lord's Prayer. And, and we all memorize that as, as young children, many of us, but, that's a corporate prayer. And we, we know it's a corporate prayer because it uses words like us and our. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us right. our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Give us this day our daily bread. And so the us and the our is a corporate call. It's the people of God speaking together. So the Bible, right. I, the Bible's filled with corporate confessions. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, that, pushes back a little bit against um, how we've understood Christianity maybe in the last hundred years. Mm. Um, you know, as Americans, we pride ourselves on individualism, right? We, we pride ourselves on my rights, my life, my way of doing things, my body, my autonomy. You know, uh, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then it, if we're not careful, that then starts to kind of creep in even into how we process our relationship to God and his church, right? That Jesus is my personal savior. Yes. Um, you, you even may even sing songs like um, in the garden, right? It's one of my grandmother's uh, and my dad's favorite oh, yeah. hymns. And, and I think it's a, it's a sweet song, but the emphasis is individual he walks with me, me, he yeah. talks with me and no, none other have ever known this type of relationship. Yeah, My, Michael Horton, and, Michael Horton makes the point. He, he, he makes a very strong point in that when he, he pair, he quotes the hymn and then he inserts a little commentary in it when he says, uh, and the joy, you know, I go to, you know, cause everybody's familiar with the, the hymn in the garden. I go to the garden alone, right? Just me. While the dew is still on the roses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. And then Michael Horton says, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other in the 2000 year history of the church has ever known. <laughs> right. When you, when you hear that little phrase inserted, it does sound absurd. It sounds absurd. Right. It sounds, it sounds, uh, uh, uh silly. Um, yeah, so the, the, the Bible is, a, is you, you, you keyed on something that I had wanted to bring up, and that is the unfortunate individualization of the Christian faith, that Christianity is about me and Jesus, and that's all I need. Right. And the problem with that, first and foremost, is that the Bible is, is, let's take the New Testament, let's take the bulk of the New Testament, which is Paul's letters. They are not written to individuals. They're written to entire congregations, to the church at Rome, to the church at Corinth, to the church right. at Philippi and Colossae. And, and so they are, I wrote an article a few years ago for, for 1517. You can look it up at 1517.org. It's called Reading Paul with a Southern Drawl. And, and, and in it, I made the point that when you see the word you 
like for example, in the writing of Paul, uh, work out or your work out your salvation in fear and trembling. That's actually not Paul talking to a person. That's actually Paul talking to a congregation of people. Uh, and so, and in the Greek, that's a second person plural. And, and when that Greek gets translated back, translated to us in English, that second person plural gets lost and it just becomes a you or a your. And so, so much of that meaning is lost. And so is what, Eng, what the English language lacks in its ability to, to communicate that Greek well. We in the South have something that the rest of the English language doesn't have. And that is we've got the word y'all. <laughs> and it, exactly. it is super helpful to, to yeah. share that with people, to read the use in the Bible as a y'all. There's a little plug-in. We'll put it in the show notes somebody made. It's a plug-in for like Bible Gateway, and it goes into your Chrome browser. And it will actually, when you are reading the Bible on your laptop, you can you can run this, and it will read those yous as y'alls. Uh, awesome. And it's it's super helpful. So when you come to a when you come to a passage like work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you. When you realize that Paul's talking to an entire church, right? And, and you hear work out y'all's salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within y'all. You get a completely different meaning of that. That verse is no longer about why I need to have a better quiet time. Which is what we right. tend to do or with it. How in the world do I work work out my salvation? Yeah. What do I personally need to do, as opposed to, hey, everybody around you is given to help you do this thing. Amen. Amen. So the individualization of Christianity, uh, by by putting forward things like it's all about you and Jesus or personal Lord and Savior, has has caused a terrible loss to the understanding of the beauty of the corporateness of the church. The the Bible assumes that you are in a congregation. The Bible assumes that you are in a local church. There's no context in Scripture for uh, people who are in a healthy relationship with Jesus that is separate from an, a, an actual body of Christ, a gathered group of people. So, corporate confession of sin. And I think, Gage, the other thing that is really important for us to bring out is if I'm an unbeliever or uh, I'm investigating Christianity, maybe I have this really wrong perception that church is a place for people who have it all together, for people who, for lack of a better term, have their crap together. And that yeah. I don't actually measure up. I don't really have my stuff together well enough to come to church. And right. if that's the, if that's the resounding view that's often in the hearts and minds of people who are coming to church for the first time, that, that everybody here is a pretty good person except for them. Right. How encouraging is it then for that person to find that one of the first things this group of people do, does when they gather together is this group corporately and together confesses that they don't measure up what what a wonderful leveling to that what a wonderful salve to the problem of christians being being accused of being hypocrites people who are pretending to have it all together not only that not only that but um i I have a friend of mine who was um an atheist few a few years ago and one of the beginnings of his 
journey when he would go to church, he um, would call me afterwards and say, man, I got to be honest, I, I kept looking around the room and thinking, can I be honest about how broken I am with these people? Can I be real about all the doubts and the questions and the failures and the ways that I just absolutely bombed things this week? If I tell them really what I feel and what I think and what I struggle with and where I doubt and where my anxiety is and where my failures are, what would they do with that, right? Like he, he would sit there and think those things. Those are, those are real feelings that people are having in church. Um, and what we do with that and how um, we communicate that in light of the gospel is huge. So to begin the service, and we'll get to a whole episode on the call to worship, but to begin the service with a view of who God is and then say we understand who we are in light of who he is. He tells us who we are. And because he's holy, we realize that we're not out, outside of the finished work of Christ and his righteousness on our behalf, making us that way. So we're going to confess. And at that point, the one that's sitting there going, can I be honest about my failures? Hopefully feels a lot of relief. Amen. Amen. I, uh, um, you know, the, to confess means to say the same thing as uh, a good example I'll often use is when you watch a, a, a murder mystery and they finally have the suspect in the interrogation room and the, the, the police are, are calling him to confession. Right. They, they say, we know you murdered uh, the, the, the butler in the, in the conservatory with the candlestick. Um, right confess what are they saying they're saying say the same thing about this crime that we say yeah. and, and admit you did it and that's precisely what's happening when we're confessing we're not bringing any new uh information to god's ears he doesn't clutch his pearls in horror saying i can't right. believe you did that he's not shocked right. by it in in genesis chapter 3 we see the first call to confession when uh in genesis chapter 3 adam and eve have sinned just starting in genesis 3 7 it says then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths and they heard the sound of the lord god walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the lord god among the trees in the garden but the lord god called to the man and said to him where are you right this is the um, this is the uh, omniscient god asking asking Adam, where are you, right? Calling him to, to show right. himself. And he said, not because he doesn't know where you are. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and he said to him, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he says, he said, who told you that you were naked? Again, right. it, is, is God trying to get some kind of new information? No, he's calling him to confession. And then here's the, the, the final one. He says, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? What's he doing? He's right. calling him to confess. He's calling him to confess his sins. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Yeah, blame shifting. Yeah. Yeah, blame shifting. We see, you actually, uh, Gage, what's fascinating about that, and this is why we need to confess our sins, is that there are, there are a few responses to sin in just this yep. Genesis three. First thing is, is, is after sin is that we hide from God. 
is that we, we, we try to hide our sin. And then the second thing that they do is that they sow fig leaves for themselves. They know that they're naked. They know that they are ashamed. They know that they have, have failed and they seek to make it right by making these fig leaf bathing suits. Um, right. So, so the first thing they do is hide. And the second thing is they do is they try to cover their sin with things that they do. And, and what is, what is fascinating is God does not, when he sees them say, you're right, you did sin, but great job on the sewing. Yeah. Good job on well, the fig leaves. Because these clothes, you did great. Right. When you're covering. Um, not only that, but, and you, you may be going in this direction, but when he asked, who, who told you you were naked? Mm-hmm. Almost as if he's in asking the question, okay, you're naked. Why is that a big deal? But they immediately feel shame that's associated with the sin that was committed. That's right. Right? Otherwise, they, they wouldn't seek to cover up the nakedness. Right. Right. Well, and, and, and as they as they now are filled with shame and they make these fig leaf garments, uh, God doesn't congratulate them on their, their sewing project and say, you know, you're right, you sinned, but good job on the sewing. So we're, we're all cool now. Uh, but instead he kills an animal to provide skins as a covering for them. And in doing so, he's actually saying the things, the works that you do with your own hand that you think make you acceptable to me, they, they don't cut it. They don't measure up. I will provide an acceptable covering for your sin because you can't. And, and, and if you can't see the cross, uh, uh, in, in, in shadow form there, then, um, you need to, you need to have the gospel preached to you a little bit more because it's a, that is a beautiful picture of the gospel. You can't do things on your own to make yourself right with me. I will provide an acceptable covering for your sins. There's a shedding. Through the shedding of blood, right? Not just That's the right. covering of sins. That's right. But through the shed, shedding of, of blood with the animal that was sacrificed, that all sacrificial um, system related things are pointing to Jesus from Amen. the beginning of the, in the garden to the Levitical uh, accounts and, and on. All that's pointing to one that is going to shed his own blood for you and that be enough. That's exactly right. Those those sacrifices, and we've gotten a little bit off of corporate confession of sin, but I think it's it's helpful ground to cover. Uh, those sacrifices throughout the Old Testament are kind of referred to as a covering for sin, and and yet when John the Baptist lays eyes on Jesus, he says, "Behold, the Lamb of God." who takes away the sins of the world. He doesn't just cover it. He takes it away and he does something with it that the blood of bulls and goats could never do. And so well, thanks and that's, be to the, God. that's the beauty of getting, yeah, getting back to um, why we confess. It's because of the truth of what you just said is why we confess that we um, like it says in John chapter three, we can come to the light and be honest with ourselves and with God, because we know that our deeds have been carried out. I'm, you know, that's the thing that makes it different than confession that um, the Roman Catholics would do. You know, they go to a priest and then they would need to confess all that they can remember. And then they're having to do penance and, and all of that. And then they're right back at it again because they, they failed again. 
the distinction between that and what we're talking about here in the Reformed camp is we're confessing not in hopes of, well, man, i got to make sure and remember all the, the things I, I sent, sinned against or, or all, I remember all my failures or I remember how I treated my neighbor this week and make sure I get all my list right, otherwise I have to come back here and do this again. We're openly confessing, more than anything, our need for a Savior, that you're holy and we're not, and here's the way we failed, and here's where I need to kind of check myself and check my heart and ask the Spirit to again uh, renew me and to strengthen me and to give me the ability to stop doing these things. But I'm not confessing because if I don't do that, you somehow are, are conditioning your love for me. I'm confessing because you do love me, because you have shed your blood for me. And so I can openly be real about, yeah, I absolutely just fell flat on my face this week. I, I absolutely blew it with my my wife or my kids or my um, employers or whatever the case may be. I absolutely blew it with my neighbor Um but you're gracious and you've, for, you've forgiven and already pardoned even the things that I'm confessing. So I can openly be honest here. That, that's exactly right. It is out of the confidence of the gospel. It's out of the finished work of Christ that we need not fear. Uh, when I, sometimes you think of a, I thought of times you, maybe you, uh, or you're a kid and you drop a, a figurine, a little, uh, a precious moments figurine off of your grandmother's uh, shelf and it breaks the head off. And sometimes what a kid will do is because they're afraid how their grandparent or their parent will respond, they'll take, I would do this. I'd take that precious moments figurine. I'd set it back up on the shelf and I'd take that <laughs> severed head? head and just balance yeah. it back up there and think, now when Mama or Papa picks that up, they're going to think they broke it, which is absurd, right? And th right. that's exactly the absurdness of us hiding our sin. But we hide our sin out of a fear for how we're going to be received when that sin is confessed. And so we want to make the gospel clear, even in our call to confession. That's why, that's why, uh, that's why first John is able to say, uh, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, faithful and, and just. just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Boy, there, there's several places there where the text is just screaming, therefore confess your sins. Therefore confess right. your sins. There's no greater evidence that the truth is in you than the fact that you feel Call, compelled to confess your sins. Gage, we're, we're coming up towards the end of our time. I, I'm hoping that in our show notes, we're going to post um, some of these things that we talked about, the article about reading Paul with a Southern drawl. And I've got a, a corporate confession of sin that we use often at the church yes. in our service. I'm going to, I'm going to read it. So folks kind of have an idea of what we're talking about. And, and we're going to put this in the show notes and, and maybe some other places where folks can find some corporate confessions of sin uh, that I hope well, this will be week helpful. we actually, um, if you went to, uh, if you go to our social media pages, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. There's actually an article that I shared um, that I believe is from Table Talk, so it's associated with Ligonier uh, Ministries. Uh, you can actually see an article there about what um, 
what the confession is for in kind of three different categories um, that the confession of sin deals with corporately and individually um, in the church. Uh, that hopefully will be a helpful resource. I'll be sure and tag that link as well in the show notes. That'd be great. Well, listen to this. Uh, um, listen to this uh, corporate confession of sin. We read this together occasionally at Hope Church in Hot Springs. It says, Merciful God, we confess to you now that we have sinned. We confess the sins that no one knows and the sins that everyone knows. We confess the sins that are a burden to us and the sins that do not bother us because we have grown used to them. We confess our sins as a church. We have not loved one another as Christ loved us. We have not forgiven one another as we have been forgiven. We have not given ourselves in love and service for the world as Christ gave himself for us. Father, forgive us. Send your Holy Spirit to us that he may give us power to live as by your mercy you have called us to live through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, that concludes our time. Be sure and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and we'd love for you to uh, check us out on assuranceofpardon.com. Until next time, this is Assurance of Pardon. 